The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Monday edition of PFT PM Week 9 in the books except for tonight's game. Tonight's game actually marks the halfway point of the 20. 21 regular season as the Bears take on the Steelers. We'll get you ready for that. Although what that means usually, Shireen, is we end up having about 90 seconds at the tail end of the show to talk about tonight's game <laughs> uh, because so much there's so much other stuff to talk about. Well, Mondays are always so busy, Mike, and this is again another busy Monday. What else is new? Not like last Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. It, it, it feels like it's light today in comparison to last week, and it was amazing everything that happened last week, so who knows? Maybe this week will eventually make up for a relatively slow Monday. Let's get to it, though. Russell Wilson, as expected, cleared to play on Sunday in Green Bay against the Packers. We don't know about the other quarterback in that game, but we do know that we will see Russell Wilson. We expected to see that. They leaked it to Shefty, and then 10 minutes later or thereabouts, they announced it. Russell Wilson cleared by Dr. Stephen Shin, who is a finger guy. My guess is there's a Dr. Finger out there who's a leg guy. But regardless, (laughs) Dr. Shin has said some medical gobbledygook, and basically it means he's fine. I, I, I thought doctors got paid by the procedure, not by the word or by the hour, but regardless, I can summarize the statement, he's fine. Dr. Shin says Russell Wilson is fine, and off we go. Uh, the Seahawks are 3-5? and 3-5? Five? Three and five. This bye week crap is messing me up. They've had their bye. There's been nine weeks. Yeah. They've only played eight games. They're three and five. Uh, and now they have their chance to turn it on down the stretch. And it's not easy right out of the gates. Packers and Cardinals, they get a chance to show that they're ready to compete with the best in the conference because the Packers and Cardinals, Shereen, are right up there. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I know they only went one and two with Geno Smith, but I thought they played pretty well. And they had chances to win both of the games they lost as well as the Rams game. Uh, when Russell Wilson went out. I actually think they're playing better despite that one and two record, despite that loss to the Rams. So that makes them one and three in their last four games. I actually think they're playing better. And now that they'll get Russell Wilson back, and oh, by the way, they're getting a couple more guys back. Wide receiver D. Estridge is also coming off uh, injured reserve. He can start practicing. He's had a concussion since week one. And cornerback Nigel Warrior is also coming back this week to practice. So they're starting to get healthy. They're starting to play better. And now you throw Russell Wilson into the mix. I don't think it's too late for this team. It may be too late based on where the Cardinals and Rams are to win the division, but it's certainly not too late for them to go get a wild card. And by the way, they haven't been that great at home in the postseason anyway, so they can go on the road to start the postseason. And I think this might be a team that you don't want to play in the first round of the playoffs, Mike. There's an all-out scrum, Shereen, I think, for the three wild card berths. No, let me put it this way. Two 
of the wild card berths because the, yeah. the five seed most likely goes to whichever of the Rams and Cardinals Rams. doesn't yeah. win the division. Rams win it, Cardinals are the wild card, Cardinals win it, Rams are the wild card. Beyond that, because as of last week, I think it was it was penciled in as the four division winners plus the second place team in the NFC West plus the Saints. The Saints losing to the Falcons on Sunday changes that. I think six and seven are back up for grabs. They are in play, and the Seahawks could work their way back into it. They're, they're only a game out right now of what would be the seventh seed in the NFC. And again, the bye weeks screw everything up. But the way I look at it right now, the Falcons are the seventh seed because they've played eight and they're four and four. The Panthers are four and five. And then you've got the Seahawks and the 49ers at three and five, along with the Vikings and the Bears for now. So. I think the Seahawks can get in. And the Seahawks, when you have a great quarterback, you know, we've seen in the past on four or five occasions, a team gets in by the skin of their teeth and then they get hot. One of the ingredients, I think, is having a quarterback who is capable of playing at a very high level. And you go on the road and you start knocking teams off. That's what the Bucks did last year as a wild card team. Yeah, they were the five seed, but they had to go on the road for three, time, three games in the NFC playoff field, and uh, the, the Seahawks would at least have a chance. And, you know, I, I think one of these teams that we've kind of written off is going to get hot in December and January and maybe make things interesting in the postseason. They, and, Mike, this team almost reminds me of the Cowboys last year, except that Dak Prescott never came back. But he was leading the league in passing yards and playing pretty darn well, and they couldn't figure out how to win. That reminds me of the Seahawks this year early. They were 2-2 two and two with Russell Wilson. But I keep looking every week. I look at the, the quarterback rankings in the NFL. He still leads the NFL in passer rating. He has still played really well this season. And he can lead this team. We've seen it before. We know what he is. Again, this team's playing better. They will have a chance. If they get in the postseason, they're going to have a chance to be the Buccaneers of last year with the way they're playing right now and now with Russell Wilson back. But these two games right here are going to be key. They can't lose both of these games, Mike. I still don't know the magic number to disqualify a team from making it to the postseason, and it changes every year. We had a team go 11-5 and in 2008, the New England Patriots without Tom Brady, make it that far and don't get in. Usually there were teams that were like 10-6 and that didn't get in, uh, but sometimes 9-7 and gets you in as a wild card. Uh, so I don't know, is 9-8 and good enough? I wouldn't want to be the test case this year, and uh, if, if the Seahawks lose the next couple and fall to 3-7, and it's going to be a challenge to get back into it. And, and I agree with you. We're going to learn a lot these next two weeks. And one of the realities for the game coming up for the Seahawks when they go to Green Bay is whether or not Aaron Rodgers will play. And even if he does play, he can't return until Saturday. Here's Coach Matt LaFleur talking about the preparation in which the Packers will engage this week coming off of their 13-7 loss to the Chiefs on Sunday. It'll be a great learning experience for all of us in terms of how we communicate it, how we go out there and execute it. Um, certainly there could be a, a situation where we have some, some specific plays for either quarterback. Um, but I, I would say by and large, when, when you're preparing, uh, you're preparing both of them for the way you want to attack a certain defense. And it's just, it comes down, I think a lot of it comes down to situationally what you do. Um, in terms of like third down, red zone, just because Jordan hasn't had a lot of 
maybe the same experience with some of those plays as, as Aaron. So, um, but I think it'll be a healthy mix of you always got to prepare for either guy to be available. So you got to have a healthy mix that they're both comfortable with. Is there any thought to maybe restructuring your practice week to have some, some more stuff to do on Saturday with him? Yeah, potentially. Um, but it's, it's more than just, it, it, it's about the entire team and making sure that our guys are fresh when we go out there and play. Um, I don't think anybody's fresh at this point of the season, but as fresh as we can be and, and go out there and, and execute at a high level. Remember, under Mike McCarthy, the Packers used to have kind of a real practice on Saturdays. They don't do that under Matt LaFleur. They may want to consider something like that to give Aaron Rodgers more of an opportunity. It looks like they're trying to take full advantage of what's fallen into their lap, the opportunity to make the Seahawks prepare for both Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how different they are, frankly. I didn't see in detail. I mean, from a style standpoint, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Um, One thing Drew Brees said last night, Shereen, that I think made a lot of sense Jordan Love and other Aaron Rodgers backups develop bad habits watching Aaron Rodgers because he gets away with a lot of stuff that is fundamentally unsound. So what happens, Jordan Love ends up doing some things that are fundamentally unsound, but he lacks the arm strength and the precision to deliver the ball when he's not fundamentally in the right spot that most other quarterbacks have to be to deliver the football with velocity, with force, and with accuracy. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And Jordan Love did not look good, and they need Aaron Rodgers. And this, to me, even improves or should improve his MVP odds because the Packers cannot win without Aaron Rodgers. They've shown it since 2008. They're 6-12-1 and without Aaron Rodgers. He is the key to the Green Bay Packers. And this game against the Chiefs, Mike, it also told me, it told me more about the Packers really than it did about the Chiefs because I was disappointed the Chiefs didn't go out there and blow them out the way the Packers played. It told me more about the Packers that the Packers are a pretty darn good team. And when you get Aaron Rodgers in there, they're a really good team. So I had a front office executive call me today and wanted to talk about Aaron Rodgers, but we got talking about Dak Prescott, and they're sort of the same in that His point is that it's really hard in this league. He said very few players in this league can just walk out there without practice and go play and be really good. And his point was on Dak Prescott, he didn't practice for two, two and a half weeks. And it's almost like that bye week you get and the teams think you can just walk out there and go and play and you can't. They need to practice. So we're going to see if Aaron Rodgers is one of those rare guys who cannot practice, assuming he gets cleared on Saturday, not practice and come out there and play and play as well as we know Aaron Rodgers can play, which is at an MVP level. Yeah, and I agree with you that that uh, Rodgers is just different. He's different. And There are so many layers and levels to his return that I'm intrigued by, and we'll have time to talk about it as it approaches. But one of the things he's going to have to do is submit. He's going to have to submit. He's going to have to accept the rules. They are not going to change the rules for him. And if anything, the Packers are going to be watching more carefully because they have to. The league is going to be watching the Packers more carefully. One of the things I explained last night is that Even though the COVID protocol says that repeat violations could result in a suspension for a player, 
The league doesn't consider it to be a repeat violation unless the player has already been disciplined for prior violations or violation. In this case, I don't know how many violations Aaron Rodgers had because nobody said to him, you're fined. Nobody said to him, you got to wear your mask. You're in breach of the COVID protocol. And if you don't start complying, you're potentially going to be suspended. Moving forward, he's going to have to do it. Everyone's going to be paying attention. When he goes into the press room, everyone's going to know, unless he's gotten vaccinated. Maybe he'll say, maybe he'll say that he has been. Who's to, who's to say that he hasn't been? I mean, he lied about being vaccinated the last time. Wouldn't that be funny if he shows up and tries to claim he's vaccinated now? But, <laughs> but, but he's going to have to, assuming he stays unvaccinated, he's going to have to wear a mask, and he's going to have to comply. And it's going to be fascinating to see whether a guy who – is not all that inclined to give in to the woke mob will do so and and submit to the powers that be who are trying to make him do something he doesn't want to do. There's a there's a a tension here that I don't think we appreciate yet because we're still a few days away from it. And I told Mike Golick today, it's way out on the radar screen. It's just a soft blip on the edge. But I can't rule out the possibility that Aaron Rodgers between now and Saturday says the hell with all of this. I don't need this. I mean, one of the questions I'd love for somebody to ask him, how much of your supposed 50-50 status in deciding whether or not to retire up until the weekend before training camp was driven by your desire to not be vaccinated and to not comply with the COVID protocols that your union agreed to on your behalf? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. That That's a great question, and I hope somebody does ask that question. The bottom line is he was looking out for number 12. That's it. That's all he was looking out for in this entire thing. And as the executive told me today, he said, I guarantee you Aaron Rodgers was not wearing a mask in that facility, probably at all, but there's no one in that facility that's going to tell Aaron Rodgers no. They know he's unvaccinated. They're not going to tell him no. Well, they have to now, and he's going to have to wear a mask now. And I will be curious when they come out with with the punishment for Aaron Rodgers and for this team, which we should expect. And if they don't, I think there's going to be an uproar. But when they do, remember last year, Mike, they went back and watched all those videos within the team facility about guys wearing masks or not wearing masks. And if I recall, the Raiders might have been one of those teams that ended up losing a draft pick and $500,000 if they found that some players were not wearing masks within the team facility. I hope they go back and watch video and figure out if he was or wasn't wearing a mask within the team facility, which is required if you're unvaccinated. Well, that's right. And the the video must be maintained for 30 days. I wonder how quickly they expunged the old video, which may have shown yeah. Aaron Rodgers not wearing a mask, you know, for 60, 90 days, however long he's been in the in the facility. But you know, this is something that people are watching very carefully. This is something that other teams are upset about. I've been hearing that for days, and we've hinted at it. I know it was a big Sunday splash thing yesterday that other teams are upset about. I think it was a given that other teams are upset about the inconsistency in the application of the rules, not just COVID protocols, but all rules. There are certain teams that the NFL will hammer, and there are certain teams for which the league may exercise a little discretion, especially if Jeff Pash is good friends with one of the high-level executives. And as I said multiple times last week, Jeff Pash and Mark Murphy, the CEO of the Packers, are close friends. So uh, maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons why this didn't come to a head previously because it was all in plain sight. Anybody who was paying attention from the league office would have known that Aaron Rodgers isn't vaccinated secretly 
and not secretly was showing up for these press conferences without wearing a mask. So something to keep an eye on this week as we get closer to the date of his return. Will he submit to the rules, rules that he believes that under the guidance of Martin Luther King Jr., he has a moral obligation to disobey, which is a bastardization of the term, and it's a complete failure to reflect the fact that these rules were agreed to by the union that represents him and all other players. And you either comply or you step aside and somebody else will take your place. And yes, Jordan Love isn't as good as Aaron Rodgers, but he's not above everyone else. There are no separate rules that apply to him, although in Green Bay there have been, which one more point on this before we move on. Someone raised this with me last night because I, I, I it's, it's been popping around and it kind of crystallized. The idea that the league should not expect the teams to enforce this because of issues like what the Packers had with Aaron Rodgers and of other, you know, you don't want to be chasing your players around. You don't want to be nagging at your players. You got to do this. You got to do that. We're going to find you for these league rules. The league should have a liaison. They should have somebody in place with each team who is ensuring compliance with the COVID protocols. It's that simple. I don't know why the league thought it would be a good idea to expect the teams to do this because most teams aren't going to want to give their players a hard time, especially their most valued players, Shireen. Uh, It's a great idea, and that's absolutely what the league should do. And, you know, Darren Rodgers is emboldened. He's the golden child with the Packers. He's the defending MVP. Packers can't win without him. Nobody was going to tell him no. So if if nobody on the team is going to tell him no, then there's got to be some somebody outside the team to tell him no. And when Matt LaFleur says, I don't know about media rules, I don't care about media access rules and what he has to wear a mask or not wear a mask there, well, the PR people certainly aren't going to tell him. The GM certainly didn't tell him. So somebody has to be big enough to say, Aaron Rodgers, put on your mask. You you need to wear a mask. You're not vaccinated. And, and there was nobody on that team to do that. So a liaison would be the perfect person to be able to, the bad guy. Nobody wanted to play the bad guy in, in Green Bay. And it was obvious. Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't want the ultimate bad guy in Aaron Rodgers to give them the middle finger and stroll out of town. Not that he's, not that he's, I'm not <laughs> saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying that in their back and forth, in their, ongoing feud with Aaron Rodgers he takes on the role of the bad guy because he wants something that maybe they don't want to give him which seems to be at times full autonomy to do whatever he wants and bring in whoever he wants and on this issue he's getting the pushback that he hasn't gotten in the past and we'll see how it plays out San Francisco 49ers real briefly they're 32 and 40 since John Lynch took over as GM and Kyle Shanahan took over as the head coach you take out the 13 and 3 regular season from 2019 and they are 19 and 37 that's roughly one win for every two losses that is not good they have lost eight straight home games they lost to Colt McCoy no disrespect to Colt McCoy but come on this is a team with Super Bowl aspirations Super Bowl roster at least that's what everyone tells us backs against the wall home game had lost seven in a row at home had every reason to show up and win this game without having to face Kyler Murray or John Dre Hopkins. And they got outclassed by the Arizona Cardinals. And I know all their fumbles, all those injuries, all those this, all those that. Well, everyone's got that at some time or another. At some point, you just got to suck it up and win games. 
there's something not right with the 49ers. And as Mike Sando pointed out very eloquently on Twitter late last night, either that or early this morning, 13-3 and is the exception, and for some reason it's regarded as the rule. Oh, and Mike, to me, they're the most disappointing team in football because, you know, we always have a team go from worst to first. They were the team I looked at, and I'm like, yeah, this is a team capable of going from worst to first. Well, obviously they're not, whatever the problem is, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it's whatever. You know, we wrote them off last year. We gave them a pass saying, oh, they had all these injuries, and they did. They had a ton of injuries. I get it. There, there are no excuses this year, and they are where they are. They're at the bottom with Seattle uh, of their division, and I give Seattle a far better chance to come back and compete in the division and try to make the playoffs as a wild card team than I give San Francisco. I think they're done. I don't care what their schedule looks like. I think this is a team that's done. They're not going to make the postseason, and at some point, Jed York's going to have to make a decision on what direction are we going here because as – as you guys have said, Mike Sando and you, Mike, that 13-3 and in trip to the Super Bowl was an aberration. And Lynch is under contract through 2025. Shanahan's under yeah. contract through 2025. That's four more seasons. Now, when they first were hired, because the 49ers were this revolving door of dysfunction, Jim Harbaugh fired, the next year Jim Tomsula fired, the next year Chip Kelly fired, they needed some stability. So they gave six-year contracts, fully guaranteed, with no offset language in them, meaning that they were paying that money for the first six years. Now, after the first three, Lynch and Shanahan got extensions. It was never said that there's no offset language, and it's fully guaranteed through 2025 for both guys. But even then, at some point, it's cost of doing business if you just have to make changes. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to make changes. And I think that John Lynch would be the first one in danger because it's like the situation in Las Vegas – before everything fell apart for John Gruden, the idea that Gruden was in charge, Mayock basically worked for him, and Mayock was in danger of being fired this year if the Raiders didn't make the playoffs, and then Gruden would have found somebody else to set the table for him from a personnel standpoint. That could be what ultimately happens for the San Francisco 49ers. And somebody just emailed me this. And, and I think this is right, but I haven't had a chance to confirm it. Carson Wentz has had more wins at Levi's Stadium since 2020 than the San Francisco 49ers. (laughs) And that would make sense because they had to play multiple games in Arizona late in the year. Uh, And again, they've lost eight straight home games. Carson Wentz won their last year with the Eagles, this year with the Colts. So there's two. And uh, if the 49ers don't have at least two since 2020... They, uh, they do have fewer losses or fewer wins, rather, at home than Carson Wentz. Maybe they should have gotten Carson Wentz in the offseason, given that specific <laughs> bit of information. But, but, but look, they've got the Rams next Monday night at home. This, this is panic button time for the 49ers. If they lose yeah. that one and fall to three and six, it's, it's not quite stick a fork in them because, again, I don't know how many games you can lose before you're done they're going to be pretty damn close to being done. If they pretty go three close. and six with eight games left, my math, eight, nine, and eight, 17, carry the one, 17. Uh, so, yeah, they'll have eight games left after that. And, uh, you, you, like, they're not going to magically turn it around. I don't see anything that makes me yeah. think that, that, like with the Chiefs, where we think they're just going to show up on Sunday and everything's going to be fine again. I, I don't suspect that that's going to happen with the 49ers. I feel like the 49ers have fundamentally changed and will be this way 
until they're able to reset in some way. Trey Lance ends up playing quarterback all the time and plays well. Uh, maybe they need def- a new defensive coordinator. I know fans are not happy with D'Amico Ryans as a replacement for Robert Sala. Uh, it just feels like they have a lot more work to do to become a contender than the Chiefs do. And what becomes interesting to me, Mike, say they lose on Monday night. I think we all expect it, but based on what we saw Sunday, maybe we shouldn't. But we all expect them to lose to the Rams. So if they lose that game, do they at that point say, all right, let's turn it over to Trey Lance and see what we have here? Because they are going to have to make a decision, and they do need some knowledge of where Trey Lance is, especially with all these veteran quarterbacks perhaps becoming available in the offseason. They passed on Tom Brady. They, they, they made the phone call for Aaron Rodgers, and, and he wasn't available. So they've passed on all these guys. There are more out there that they've passed on, but they've passed on all these guys. So do they come back, let Trey Lance play, and say, he's not the answer. Let's go get one of these veteran guys. Or maybe Trey Lance comes out and plays really well, and they say he is the answer. He's their guy for the future, and we're moving on from, from Jimmy G, which we all expect him to move on from him at some point. So maybe it's sooner than later that that happens, Mike. Schedule softens a little bit after the Rams. They've got the Jaguars, although who knows with the Jaguars at this point where they're going to be. Yeah. They did not look like a pushover against the Bills on Sunday. Vikings at the Seahawks, at the Bengals. There's some, some challenges still for the 49ers. It's going to take a lot of work to get back into it. And the other problem I have with the 49ers, and this has been something that I've been raising since – they made Trey Lance the third overall pick. And even before that, when they gave up so much to get in position to use the third overall pick, the idea that um, th- they just seem so scatterbrained and dysfunctional when it comes to their quarterback plan. And I really do think passing on Patrick Mahomes in 2017, saying no thanks to Tom Brady in 2020, and seeing both of those guys square off in Super Bowl 55, I think they blew a fuse after that and they panicked. And they felt like they needed to go out and get their own franchise quarterback. A lot like what the Bears did trading up for Justin Fields. They were never going to live down trading up to take Mitch Trubisky and leaving Patrick Mahomes on the board. I, I feel like teams are scarred by their decisions to say no to quarterbacks who ended up becoming great. And now they're desperate to do something. And, and I feel like that desperation became dysfunction and it could end up costing people jobs in san francisco all right one guy who would like to play in san francisco even though they're not really a contender at this point but i'm told it's the 49ers the seahawks or the saints three preferences for odell beckham jr waived officially today by the browns the waiver period expires tomorrow at 4 p.m eastern presumably shireen by the time we're on the air we'll have a chance to talk about whether or not odell beckham was claimed on waivers The Lions have said they're not going to do it. They have dibs because, as often is the case, they're the worst team in the NFL. The Saints aren't going to do it because they don't have the cap space. Roughly a third of the league has the cap space to take on the $7.25 million financial commitment. And I haven't seen any reports of teams desperately moving to shuffle space around. I guess they could do it tomorrow, move space tomorrow, and then have the space to absorb the contract if they claim him on waivers. And maybe they wouldn't even have to do it until Wednesday. Maybe it wouldn't have to be until 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday that they'd have to have everything lined up. But um, there aren't a lot of teams that fall into that category. I can't wait to see whether or not somebody claims him because the more he seems to pressure the non-contenders that may want him to not take him, the more inclined I think someone is going to be to say, hey, Odell, you don't make the rules. We'll take you if we want to. 
It would be interesting if someone took him and then what his decision would be. Do you show up? Do you not show up? How do you handle this? Because obviously the trade deadline's passed and they would have to cut him at that point for him to play this season. So this is very intriguing, Mike. And I don't know that we've seen one quite like this with the contract restructured and then we're going to cut you and you're coming free. And we know that the Browns don't want him to go to go to the AFC, but particularly to anybody in that division, it doesn't look like anybody in that division is going to be interested or he's going to be interested in them. But what if one of those teams within their own division claimed him? That would be even more intriguing. Well, that's absolutely right. And Hey, I, I, someone was texting me last night saying that, that these teams out there, you, know, you look at the empty seats, like the Jaguars would be a great team. And I don't know how many empty seats they had yesterday, but yeah. they're a team that's moving in the right direction in their mind. They get a big win over Buffalo. They're feeling good about themselves. Could they use Odo Beckham Jr.? They have the cap space. they got $27 million in lingering cap space yeah. right now. You could crunch the numbers and try to figure out whether or not you can offset whatever it's going to cost you to pick up Odo Beckham Jr.'s contract by way of what you'll make. And it gives you buzz. It gives you visibility. We'll be talking about the Jaguars for a while. We're going to be more interested in the Jaguars' next game if they have him. I'm not, I, I'm not saying that they will do it, but you could easily make the argument. If you're a team, and they're all in the entertainment business, if you're a team that is looking to get people interested in you, to buy tickets to your games, to pay attention to your team, you can easily make the argument to do it. And the other side of the coin, too, is whatever argument you can come up with from sound football purposes as to why it wouldn't be a good idea to do it, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. So you got 31 <laughs> teams out there. Obviously, the Browns aren't going to claim him on waivers. But you got 31 teams. One out of 31 is all it takes. And he does not get to become a free agent. And I won't be surprised if someone takes him, Shereen. Well, Mike, and as you've pointed out a million times – Owners, most owners in the NFL, their number one priority is to make money. Their number two priority is to win. If you want to make money and you're a team like Jacksonville and you want to sell tickets and create buzz and sell out your stadium, something that you haven't done, that's one way to do it. And if, if he shows up and plays for you, he's going to have a choice whether to, to not play and not make salary from that team or – uh, or he can show up and play. So then that'd be in his court. But if he shows up and plays, you're going to sell tickets. You're going to create buzz. Teams are, People are going to be talking about you. And, by the way, he would help probably whatever team he goes to, particularly the Jaguars, who are down at receiver because of injuries. Yeah, well, it's going to be a fun day, and we'll see. And we'll see if anything leaks as to who may have claimed him. You know, it, it's not like – it's not like a draft where the Lions are up and then the next team is up and the next team is up. Everybody puts in their claim, yes or no. Yeah. Nobody knows who puts in claims until we find out who gets Odell Beckham Jr. And it used to be they would say the other teams that put in a claim. That would be on the official transaction report. They stopped doing that six or seven years ago. But sometimes the league will hand to one of the reporters who, who happen to be on the league payroll – who else made claims because, hey, it's good for clicks and views at NFL.com and on NFL Network if we know who all made a claim for Odell Beckham Jr. I'll put the over-under at number of teams to make a claim for Odell Beckham Jr. at 1.5. Are you taking the over Ooh. or the under? Well, I'm going to take the under because that means he could still get claimed at 1 and then not get claimed, so I double up there, I think. I'll go with the over just for fun. 
Okay. And uh, right. uh, we'll see. We'll see tomorrow who wins. Unless I lose, then I may just kind of forget to mention it because <laughs> you know there's a lot going on. Sometimes you just can't mention every single thing that happens. Let's take a break. When we return, I spoke with Matt Ryan yesterday after the Falcons came back to beat the Saints and Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, the Josh Allen who won. You'll hear both of those conversations next. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Let's focus on the moment the Saints go ahead. What do you What do you think? What do you say? What goes on on the sideline when they score that touchdown to, to take the lead late? Well, you know, even before that, you tell the guys we're going to be in one or two situations. We're either going to be in victory where we go, you know, kneel down a couple times, or we're going to be in two minutes or get yourself ready for two minutes. And uh, that was it. You know, once I score, you tell the guys, all right, let's go out there, do your job really well. You don't have to do anything crazy, just your job really well. We have plenty of time, timeouts. I uh, need to get the ball with Koo just to the 40-yard line. So we feel like, you know, we have plenty of time to go out there and do what we needed to do. Were you paying close attention to the uh, the, the effort by the Saints to go for two? Because, I mean, obviously that opened the door for the win in regulation. No doubt. I was, I was locked in on that one. And a great, you know, fight by our defense to, you know, get him down and, and make sure he doesn't, you know, get, get in for the two-point conversion there. That's one of the plays of the game. You know, gave us a chance to go win it in regulation. So you have the ball in the 25, first and 10. Who calls the play that you guys ran? Art, Art Smith, you know, he just said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And, uh, you know, if you, if you get an opportunity, you let it rip. And, and we did. We got a one-on-one uh, with Cordero. And, you know, he made, he made a great play on the sidelines. So great call, great effort by, by CP. And a uh, play we needed to make in, in order to win that game. Did you say anything in the huddle other than call the play before that that play? No, it's just, you know, in, in those situations, you just tell the guys, hey, you know, whatever play's called, let's do our job really well. We don't have to do anything more than that. Nobody has to be a hero. We just got to make the plays when they present themselves. And, you know, that's my message to those guys, you know, in those type of situations. So when you come up to the line on that play, you're looking to see if he's in single coverage, and if he is, you know that's where you're going? Yeah, depending on, you know, the safeties, too. They start it in, in kind of a two-man, two-high shell and rotate at their safety slate into what we call a robber look. And so, you know, when I knew I had no safety help over the top, I figured I had a good chance to get it to him down the field. Did they rotate to the robber before the snap, or is that something they did once you had the ball? No, I think it was, it was either – I think it was kind of right on the snap. Uh, you know, I, I think it was Malcolm Jenkins coming down uh, to, to, to rob, you know, crossing routes. And so um, – it's just one of those things you see, you notice, and, and you try and, you know, take advantage of it. So so when you see that, when you see that shift, that's when you know you're you're throwing at Cordero. Correct, yes. How much better has the team gotten since week one when you guys lost at home to the Eagles? I think we've continued to improve. I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to quantify, but, um, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've just continued to chip away at it every week and get a little bit better every week, and we're definitely playing better football right now than we were at that point. It's such an amazing outcome when you consider how good the Bills' offense has been. Were you surprised by anything you no. saw from them today? No, sir. No, sir. And I'm completely honest with you. 
I mean, like, I, I'm not saying that they're not good or I'm not saying that, but I know the way we practice, the way we prepare, the way we, you know, had that mentality of going out and doing our job because we showed that if we don't mess up, we don't beat ourselves, we can play against any team out there. And this was just a a, 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 a great start for us on on what, on what we're capable of doing every week. So now it's just really to build on this, man, and get, we'll get the next one. What did you say to Josh Allen, if anything, before the game? The other Josh Allen. Uh, good luck. And uh, let's have a good one. <laughs> you know, I was ready to play. You know, I've been hearing it all week. You know, so I, I, you know, I'm really not into all that, you know. But, you know, guys, you know, taking it personal for them, you know, themselves. And I'm like, okay, time to squash this. And then I read on an article somewhere, somebody was like, Josh got to finally show himself or something. I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? I kind of took that personal. You know what I'm saying? Because now you're playing on who I am as a a player. And, you know, I just wanted to show up today and show out. When you sacked Josh Allen, did you have anything to say to him then? Ah, I should have. I should have. But I was tired. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I should have. But, like, you know, you know, I didn't. But just out of fun, nothing too crazy. But um, no, nah, it was a you know great experience and best best luck of them for the rest of the season and uh, but that was a great win. The, the ball that you intercepted, did you get that to the sideline and give it to the equipment guy to make sure it got uh, it got saved for you to yes, sir. for you to keep? Where are you going to keep it? Oh yeah, hey, can you make sure they got the, the interception ball? They didn't give it away. I'm about to go find that out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get it, where are you going to keep it? I was about it? to throw it, but I was like, oh no, this is my first one. I can't throw this one. <laughs> Why hasn't this happened before, and now we expect it every week? How do you guys respond, given that this is going to increase expectations? I'm going to cut you off, right? We ready. I mean, from day one, man, we knew what, I knew what type of defense we were. You know what I'm saying? I knew what type of players we had. You know what I mean? I know how our locker room was, and I felt like we was capable of doing this every game. But it was, you know what I'm saying, we hurt ourselves. We put ourselves in those positions to lose those games. You know what I'm saying? But when we all on, and when we all locked in, Ain't nobody beating us, and we truly believe that. So we're going to have that mentality. We're going to grow and learn off this experience, you know what I'm saying, not get too high uh, on this, and uh, come back next week and, and, you know, beat the cold. Yeah, I mean, definitely shocked. Uh, as I said, they whooped us on every aspect. They, they beat us, and um, that, that's not something you ever, you ever think about or ever envision happening. Um, but something we'll learn from. We'll learn from um, every every aspect of it, offense, defense, special teams, situationally especially, and uh, we've just got to be better. We've got to play a cleaner game. We've got to start faster in a noon game like this, and they, they did a better job at it. One of the big stunners for week nine, and Shireen was there to watch the Denver Broncos exact vengeance about 40 years too late, 45 years or so too late for Super Bowl XII. Yeah. The Broncos all over the Cowboys, and we mentioned that because we have our big surprises coming from week nine, a week which had a ton of surprises. And, Shireen, you're up first, and obviously I've spoiled the surprise as to what your first surprise is. Well, it is Dak Prescott, Mike, and I was there in the press conference after the game, and I asked him specifically, did your calf injury 
have anything to do with the performance you had today? And he said, my calf had nothing to do with this entire game, which means basically he sucked because he sucked. And it may have been some rust. Look, (laughs) you know, he had the injury in week six, and then that was the last game he played. He didn't practice very much. As I said earlier, they beat the Vikings with Cooper Rush. He had two full practices. But a 48-7 completion percentage, that was the second worst of his career. He had a 73-7 passer rating. The last time he, he played a full game, he had a passer rating that bad or worse, was 64.2 against New England in 2019. Mike, he completed eight of his first 23 passes for 102 yards and an interception and then had those two meaningless late touchdown drives, which I wondered why he was still in the game because you risk injury, especially if that calf is still messed up, is still hurting him a little bit, and we'll, we'll find out this week if he's still in the practice report. But... Whether it was or wasn't, I thought he should have been removed from the game, but perhaps they were trying to work out some of the rust. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but that fourth and two they had early in the game, it was the second fourth down they went for on their second possession. He threw the ball at the feet of Cedric Wilson. It wasn't even that hard of a throw, and I thought the ball was tipped, and he said afterwards, no, he just changed his arm angle because he saw some hands up in front of him. Whatever it was, he was just off the defense added on to that. They missed 14 tackles, Dan Quinn just said, most of the season. This is a team that looked nothing like a Super Bowl contender, Mike. And I thought for being at home against the Denver Broncos team that's had trouble scoring, stopping other teams, I thought it was a hugely dif- disappointing performance by Dak Prescott and the Cowboys both. I, I- Blamed it earlier today on a failure of coaching and veteran leadership to get the attention of the Cowboys after they went to Minnesota and beat the Vikings with Cooper Rush. They started to believe their press clippings, and there may be many of the younger folks out there who don't know what the hell press clippings are, um, (laughs) but they used to be a thing. It was the articles about you in the newspaper that you would clip out and put in a scrapbook. You start to believe that stuff. Hey, we're pretty damn good. Hey, the Broncos just traded their best player. They're not good. We can sleepwalk through this one. We get an extra hour of sleep last night. Wait, uh, that's an extra hour to party. We're, we're taking it easy this week. This is a bye week for us. We're going back to Dallas, and we're wearing the red stripe on our helmets, and we're going to kick some ass and take some names. And I, I feel like they weren't ready to play. They got blown off the field. It was a stunner. It was the biggest surprise of the weekend. For as good as the Cowboys had looked, they flipped it around, and they looked like a team that has no business even being in the playoff conversation. And they better figure it out this weekend when the Falcons come to town after that to get the Chiefs and then Thanksgiving against the Las Vegas Raiders. Big surprise for me. And you're going negative. I'm going positive today. We're, we're changing our roles. I'm usually <laughs> Dr. Doom. I was stunned by the Jaguars, especially because yeah. – They go to London and beat Miami and get their win. They end their 20-game losing streak. They have a week off. They get two weeks to get ready for the Seahawks. Facing Geno Smith and company on a short week after a Monday night game against the Saints. I thought the Jaguars were going to win last weekend. They get blown off the field by Seattle. And then they they go home, fly cross-country, get ready for the Bills, one of the best teams in football, and shut down the Buffalo offense. It was a thing of beauty if you like defensive football. No touchdowns, five field goals, 96 win. Josh Allen, the defensive end, just pissed off hearing about and being confused with Josh Allen, the quarterback. He showed up to play. And one thing I said to Josh Allen, the defensive end, after the game yesterday, it kind of reminds me of the first time I brought home straight A's. And 
my bubble was quickly burst when the questions were, why haven't you done this before, and now we expect it all the time. When the Jaguars play defensively like they did yesterday, we expect that kind of intensity every week, or it completely undermines what they managed to do against the Bills, Shereen. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, where has this performance been all year? You go back to that season opening game against the Texans, and now you wonder, how did they lose to the Texans? But Josh Allen, the defensive end, was the best Josh Allen on the field. And I never in a million years thought I would say that. But I suspect, Mike, when we do our Defensive Players of the Week tomorrow, that we're going to be talking about Josh Allen as one of those players who was the best player on the field yesterday against Buffalo. And Josh Allen, the quarterback, will not be one of the offensive players of the week. <laughs> yes. That is for darn sure. Although it's really not on him. I feel like the offense is relying on him too much and expecting him to do too much, yeah. and he's trying to do too much. What's your next surprise? I'm going to go with Jordan Love. And, you know, maybe I didn't expect him to be all that, but this is a guy who's in the second year of the offense. And he went 19 to 34, 190 yards, one touchdown, one interception. You go, eh, okay, that, that doesn't sound horrible. But then you think about they only scored seven points. This is the 29th defense last week going into the game, 29th defense in the NFL, 25th against the pass. And he was not good. And he got killed by the blitz. I mean, they blitz 51% of the time. It's the most blitzes a Green Bay quarterback has faced since 2017. And he just couldn't handle it, Mike. He couldn't handle the blitz. Yeah, And look, it's going to take some time. And he's the one guy I've felt sorry for in this entire drama between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. He didn't ask to be drafted by the Packers. He didn't ask the Packers to trade up in round one to get him. He didn't ask to be the focal point of this tension between quarterback, franchise quarterback, and organization. So I feel bad for Jordan Love, and I hope he gets a full chance at some point to show what he can do. Cleveland Browns, what the hell? Hey, why – you know, why didn't they just get rid of Odell Beckham Jr. in the offseason? I know he was coming (laughs) off of a torn ACL. You could have traded him for a conditional draft pick based upon how many games he's able to play or whatever. I feel like the Browns – have been so afraid of Beckham going somewhere else and being great again that they didn't want to give him up, and they kept him around when they shouldn't have kept him around. Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer reported last week he first asked to be traded in the offseason. They said no. He asked multiple times during the season to be traded. They said no. Jay Glazer said yesterday he asked to be released last Monday. They said no. If he'd have been released last Monday, a lot easier for him to pick his next team because he becomes a free agent. This Monday, he becomes subject to waivers so they finally get rid of him and look what happens they're great and who cares if he has 250 receiving yards and three touchdowns his first game who cares you have removed a dynamic from your team that was bringing you down regardless of who's to blame could be him could be baker mayfield could be somebody else could be just a combination of events it was just a bad situation and no one's to blame whatever the reason they really should have done this a while ago they really should have And what many of us said last year, Shireen, when Odell Beckham Jr. tore his ACL, and I know there was a certain degree of insensitivity to it. I think Baker Mayfield was right by calling out those who immediately said the Browns are better off without him because the guy's got a torn ACL, but they're better off without him. The way this Browns team is constructed, they're better off without him. And and obviously, look, look at how they did yesterday with that weight lifted off their shoulders.
Yep, last season they made the playoffs with Adam almost a year ago to the day that we were talking just about that, that this is a team that's going to be better off without Odell, and they showed that again yesterday, Mike. It frees up to Baker Mayfield to go to the open receiver and not try to force passes into Odell, although we, as we saw in the video from his dad, Odell's dad, he is sometimes open and Baker just didn't find him. It didn't work there. It just didn't work. Cut your losses, move on. Smart for the Browns to do it, but it would have been smarter to do it sooner. Third surprise from you. I'm going to go with the Saints, and they have to be, Mike, the most schizophrenic team in the league. This was a home game. They're coming off the big win against the Buccaneers. They're rolling. They look good. You look at their losses and look at their wins. They've beaten Green Bay, New England, Washington, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. Their losses are to Carolina, the Giants, and the Falcons. Are you kidding me? And I Trevor Simeon, you know, Sean Payton has shown he can win with any quarterback out there, whether it's Taysom, whether it's Simeon, whoever it is. But I don't know what to make of this team because they're so up and down. I think they can beat any team in the league. I think they can lose to any team in the league. And I also think they're going to be looking for a starting quarterback in the offseason. They're going to end up with an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or whoever it is. But I think they have a different quarterback next year. Yeah, boy, wouldn't it be something if it is Russell Wilson and the Saints are one of the four teams that his agent mentioned in the offseason when he said, Russell Wilson doesn't want to be traded. But if he were, Bears, Cowboys, Raiders, Saints. Well, the other three teams are spoken for now. Saints won't be after this season. That would be something. Last one for me is the Tennessee defense. We were so focused on what the offense was going to look like without Derrick Henry, and it wasn't great. It wasn't great. didn't need to be great. The defense stepped up and stymied the Rams offense and we're getting to the point in the season I think where careful and delicate and diligent film study can make a difference and I think that Mike Vrabel and company cracked the code on the Rams offense knew how to beat the offensive line knew how to anticipate the movements and the decisions of Matthew Stafford and it worked out well you know it's two straight weeks we've had a quarterback Make a dumbass decision in his own end zone with the ball against the Titans. At some point, it's the Titans <laughs> yeah. causing them to do it, Shireen. At some point, it's not the quarterback being dumb. It's the, te- it's the Tennessee defense making them dumb temporarily. Well, I think you have to put Vrabel in that, off, uh, that coach of the year conversation just based on how his defense has turned it around from last year. They're playing really well. This is a team that couldn't get to the quarterback last year. They're doing it this year, and that's been the biggest difference for the Titans. Despite not having Derrick Henry, I think they've got a good chance now to go and contend in the AFC. All right, let's take a break. We'll get you ready for Monday Night Football when this Monday edition of PFTPM continues here on Peacock and Sirius XM 85 right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, Shereen, I have a question for you before we get to the Monday night preview. You mentioned earlier that Aaron Rodgers – no, no, you'll like this. Aaron Rodgers may have made his case for MVP stronger by virtue of how Jordan Love performed without him. You have one of the votes. Will you be able, when the time comes, 
to set aside the fact that he blatantly lied, and I'm going to call it what it is. Don't give me this immunized bull yeah. stuff. He lied. Yeah. He blatantly lied. He knows he lied. Yeah. Are you going to be able to set that aside? Because I wouldn't be able to set it aside, and I wouldn't vote for him as MVP after what he did, lying about being vaccinated, and then being in a room, deliberately rejecting the protocols uh, because he didn't want people to know he wasn't vaccinated. I think I would be I am going to be able to set that aside. However, that loss to me kills their chances to get doesn't kill them, but it hurts their chances to get home field advantage throughout. And as you and I both know, and you've pointed this out a number of times, it's going to be the team in the AFC and the NFC that are the best teams that usually the quarterback off of one of those teams gets the MVP award. I think it's going to be Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford in the NFC to compete for that award. I would highly doubt that Aaron Rodgers is going to be in that conversation in the end. But if he is, yeah, I, I, I think I'll be able to, to give him the MVP vote if that's what it comes down to, if they're the best team. That, but that's the thing. If they're not the best team and they miss it by a game, it's his fault that they weren't the yes. ones. Oh, no question. And even Absolutely. though he proves his value by not being yes. there. He hurts his yes. team by not being there, so no question. I just wouldn't vote for him. I wouldn't vote for him. I, after, after the performance on Friday, I'm not mincing words. I'm not splitting hairs. It was bull yeah. crap. All right, it's bull crap that we only left a minute to talk about the Bears-Steelers. It's <laughs> Shireen's fault, not mine. Not mine at all. Like I predicted, we'd wedge in the Monday night preview yes. just on our way out the door. Bears are 3-5. and five, Steelers are 4-3. and three. Steelers have won three in a row. Seven-point favorites. I, I like the Steelers tonight. They're systematic. They'll, they'll focus on all three phases. And the Bears just feel like they're missing something, don't they? Yeah. Well, and, and I want to pick the Steelers, but after what we saw Sunday, I'm scared to. But I, I think the Steelers are going to win this handedly. But I would have said that about four or five teams that lost yesterday. So who knows what, how this weekend's going to go. But I do think the Steelers win it. All right. Uh, we'll see how it goes tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow morning on PFT Live. Sims will be back from his four-day weekend. Man with the small head, as they call him <laughs> in some parts of the U.K. Shireen, great work. We'll talk about Odell Beckham tomorrow and plenty more. Enjoy your evening. See you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.